Welcome to the Relationship Church Podcast. Emotions, we all have them. They're natural and needed. They need to be acknowledged, but should we let them be our guiding light? In today's message, Managing Emotions, Ryan Neal shares strategies and tools to help us keep our emotions in check. Topic of managing emotions. Managing emotions. I was originally going to call it managing negative emotions, but there are times where we actually have to even work at managing our positive emotions uh, and and wondering, you know, sometimes we get a sometimes we get joy from a source uh, that we really probably shouldn't get joy from. We get joy or happiness from uh, other people's downfalls or other people's failures or seeing vengeance uh, against somebody that we wanted to see. And so we have to be careful to even sometimes manage our positive emotions. Uh, but we're going to be focusing mostly today on managing management of negative emotions. So uh, we're going to go again to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 10. I'm going to read this to you uh, in a couple versions. Uh, first here from the King James, 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. It says, we destroy every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Somebody say, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because whether we realize it or not, our emotions come from our thought process. And it may not be related to our thought process in real time, uh, but it has to do with our thought process. It may be a thought that we had earlier in the day or a, uh, a series of thought that we have had throughout the past week, and it'll eventually develop into an emotion. So the scripture tells us that we're to take every thought captive. That means we don't just let our minds run wild. We don't let our thoughts think you may not be able to help the thought that comes into your head, but you can help the thought that you meditate on. And importantly, even more importantly, you can help the action that you take based on the thought that you think. Now, in the New Living Translation, I'm going to back up to verse three, still 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But this time, backing up to verse three and reading through verse five. It says, we are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So what we're talking about here is I like, I like the New Living Translation because in the beginning there, it says we are humans, but we do not wage war as humans do. We are humans, but we do not wage war as humans do. And that's so important. The scripture tells us in another place that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. In the same way that if we went to a foreign country, we're in that country, but we may not really know anything about their culture. We may not know anything about their the way that they uh, operate on a regular basis. We may not know anything about their food uh, that they that they eat. Uh, and so for us, the scripture tells us that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And in another place, it tells us that we are to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So there is a way that we deal with emotions that is a godly way of dealing with emotions. You're gonna experience the same emotions that anybody else experiences in this world, 
but the way that we react to the emotions, the way that we deal with the emotions has to be different. So emotions, emotions are a natural instinctive state of mind. It's derived either from one's current circumstances, mood, or relationship with others. I'll read that again. An emotion is a natural, remember it's natural, it's instinctive, it's a natural and instinctive state of mind. And it's derived either from your circumstances, from your mood, or your relationship with someone. Now, as we go through this, because we're going to talk about uh, emotions and how our emotions get distorted, how our emotions cause us to do things that we should not do, and how to rein that in and, 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 and make that thought or that emotion obedient, okay, to what we actually want to do. And so what I want you to do for the time that we're here together this afternoon, I want you to get something in your mind that you're emotional about. I want you to think of something uh, that, that you get emotional about. For many of us, the things that we get emotional about are the same things every time. And, and, and we can almost say it catches us by surprise, but it really doesn't because we know when this person does that thing, it makes us mad. We know that when this thing happens or when this person is in town or when the holidays come and we go to such and such's house and this person is there or this particular thing happens, we know how that uh, plays with our psyche. We know how that plays with our minds. So many of us have regular things. It could be a, a child that's not doing the things that we want them to do. It could be a person at work that seems to always have that nasty attitude and you really don't want to deal with them. And every time you have to deal with that person or work with them on a project, it ends up being a problem. I know for me, I usually make up my mind who I like and don't like that I'm working with within the, like the first couple interactions. And then I have to rein in my emotions because I've already labeled that person. We'll talk about labeling in a moment, uh, but I've already labeled that person in my mind as to whether I like them or don't like them. And it's very difficult. Like they say, first impressions are important because not only for you, but for people you meet, you always judge them by your first impression. Not always necessarily the best thing to do. So it could be, uh, again, that wayward child, the person at work, or a situation with a friend. And every time that situation comes up, you get emotional. We always think of emotional as just crying and throwing a tantrum. But emotional doesn't necessarily mean that you're, that you're outwardly emotional and just completely uncontrolled. Sometimes it's what's going on in your mind. You might be throwing a tantrum in your brain, but because you have some level of maturity, you don't allow that to be experienced by others on the outside, but you're really throwing a tantrum tantrum right in your head like a child, but people just don't see it. So it can be uh, what, what a many manners of things, but I want you to get something in your mind that, that triggers you. And that's what we call them, right? We call them triggers. This person or this thing or this situation triggered me. And so knowing, uh, again, going back to the definition of emotion, a natural instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances, mood, or relationship with others. And, and the example that's given in the, de de uh, in the dictionary is uh, she was attempting to control her emotions. Isn't it interesting that the definition of emotions comes with used in a sentence, she was attempting to control her emotions. Because most of the time when we think about emotions, we think about how we have to control them. Because our emotions have a tendency to run wild because they're natural, because they are instinctive. The second definition of emotions is instinctive, again, that word, or intuitive feelings as disguised, I'm sorry, as distinguished from reasoning or knowledge. 
Our emotions many times are the antithesis of reasoning and knowledge. We have something that an emotion that comes over us and we wanna take one course of action where we know good and well that a different course of action is what we should take. Let me give you an example that I know all of you all can probably appreciate. You set an alarm the night before for 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. because you know that you need to be up. But when you uh, when the alarm goes off and it starts buzzing in your ear, the emotion of I am tired begins to overtake your body. And that one is very difficult because not only is it the emotion of being tired, but the simple act of being tired clouds your mind anyway. And that's why the snooze button is the most popular button in the world. I don't know that any button in this world has been pressed more than the snooze button. And you can snooze from 5 a.m. I've snoozed from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. before, just snoozing every 10 minutes, wake up at 9 o'clock and don't even remember hitting the snooze button every 9 or 10 minutes whenever it uh, it hit. But But when I went to sleep the night before, I had a clear mind about why I wanted to get up early the next day. I had a clear mind about the things and the tasks that were forcing me to get up earlier than what I really wanted to be up, but there were some things that need to be done. But then when the situation actually occurred, I got emotional. I got the emotion of sleep began to take me over. And so it's an instinctive or intuitive feeling as disguised from reason. Reason says get up because you got some things to do before work starts. But emotion says, You'll be all right. You'll figure it out. You'll figure out how, a way to make this work. And it's okay every once in a while to live in a state of emotion. But for the most part, 90% of the time, or even more, we need to learn how to rein in our emotions and not live our lives by how we feel, but live our lives by what we plan and what we know God's will is for our life. The example given for the second definition is, it says responses have to be based on historical insight, not simply emotion. Again, looking at that word used in a sentence in that way, it's, it's based on historical insight. We have to learn how to base what we do next on what didn't work in the past. We gotta learn how to base what we do next based on the things that we've tried before not working, but instead many times we have the tendency to just let history repeat itself. And the only reason that we don't get what we want out of life is because we let that repeat button go and we allow history to continue to repeat itself. You already know what that emotion is going to do if you allow that that uh, particular emotion to play out. You know how that movie ends. You know how that chapter of the book ends because you've done it before. I know for me, even now, it's like in, in, in the journey to, to look the way that I want to look or to lose the weight I want to lose, to build the muscle in the gym and things that I want to build. There are certain things that you eat and there are certain things that you don't eat. And you can eat the things that you should not eat as much as you want, but you know how the story ends. So you can't both complain about being fat and continue you to sit up and eat the bag of Lay's. You can't complain about being unhealthy and then continue to sit up and know, do the things that you know make you unhealthy. If you're going to live life by your emotions, then you got to embrace, embrace the outcome that comes from that, or you got to be willing to make the change. Amen? So let's talk really quickly here uh, about the purpose of emotions, the purpose of emotions. And uh, a lot of this is coming from uh, 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 a few different books, but uh, one book in particular, and it talks about the purpose of emotions. The, they, the definition given here, or the purpose rather for emotions, they are your brain's way of telling you something is good or bad 
based on circumstances. Your brain's way of telling you something is good or bad based on circumstances. So if you notice, I never told you to suppress your emotions. I never told you to get rid of your emotions. I told you that we are going to talk about controlling our emotions. We don't want to get rid of emotions because we, we know people like that too, right? That are just completely emotion, uh, emotionless people. It's like, you know, you think about a doctor <laughs> that just has no bedside manner. Uh, Jessica was talking about a situation over the weekend that came up and there was a lady that was in pain and the lady's in pain and it wasn't anything that was life-threatening at the moment. Left unchecked, it could turn into infection or whatever. And one of the nurses at her, one of the clinics that she manages said, uh, I talked, I sent a message to the doctor and asked them, could I do this test and then call in a prescription if this was the case? And the response that came back is non-emergent issues can wait until Monday. Now this lady is sitting here in pain, but this emotionless doctor is like, I don't care. I'm not gonna worry about that. I'm off, you know, something that would have taken probably from what Jessica was telling me, probably would have taken less than a minute of his time if he had just done it yesterday. But instead this person continues to experience pain until Monday or until somebody gets it worked out so we don't want to be emotionless maybe he told himself and I'm sure he did well I don't work on weekends because I work hard during the week and he's a good doctor from everything that I can tell he's a good doctor and so maybe he put down something that said I don't work on weekends and so he said I'm not gonna let the emotion of feeling sorry for her cause me to put in this 60 seconds of work so we don't want to be emotionless but we've got to know when to allow our emotions to guide us and when to cut our emotions off at the source and so so that's why the scripture says that we take every thought captive. It didn't say that we kill every thought. It didn't say that we kill every emotion. We just take it captive so that we can figure out if it's something that should be obeyed or if it's something that we should control. Are you with me? So the purpose of our emotions is it's our brain's way of telling you whether something is good or bad based on circumstances. They provide feedback to help you process reality. They're to help us process reality, but we have to know that our emotions are not always reality. They're to help us process reality, but sometimes we think that our emotions are reality, and when we get caught in that, then we begin to, to assume things, and we begin to operate in life based on false information, therefore not actually making the best decision for what the real or reality of the situation is. Amen? So our emotions are simply feedback mechanisms designed to let us know whether things are going well or not, okay? So be sure, for one, that you do not let your emotions decide your purpose. Don't let your emotions decide your purpose. Even though sometimes emotions seem lofty, well, I'm, you know what? I think I ought to go back to school and become a physician. And then the next thing you know, you're going down a hole or down, down a route that maybe wasn't really the purpose for your life just because it sounds good. You got emotional, you wanted some money. So you said, well, who make good money? I think doctors do. Then I'm gonna be a doctor. Knowing you failed eighth grade biology. I did, I had to take summer school. True story. Um, but, we, we sometimes can have emotions that seem good, but we still, that still doesn't mean that we should necessarily follow them. We have to examine our emotions. Have your emotions, and I want you to ask yourself these questions. No shame, I'm not asking you to raise your hands though. Have your emotions ever got you in real show enough 
as they say, trouble. Have your emotions ever gotten you fired? Maybe, maybe fired because, you know, I mean, you think fired, you know, say, oh, you did something and then you got fired. No, it could have just been being late to work all the time. The emotion of sleepiness. You knew good and well you was on demerit number two of three and you still didn't get up in time. Maybe it was something crazy. Maybe you, maybe you, uh, maybe you fought somebody at work. <laughs> I remember a story of a, of a lady who literally got fired, an office job, because she thought somebody was attacking her and, and ended up fighting. It's a long story, but it's a funny story, actually. But she ended up getting fired for that. Have your emotions ever gotten you drunk? Have your emotions ever gotten you high in a fight? Here's one. I got one for you. Have your emotions ever gotten you in a road rage battle? Have your emotions ever caused you to spend too much money? Have your emotions ever gotten you in a place where the kids are in children's church, where you had sex with somebody that you shouldn't have? Have your emotions ever caused you to be in a place where you know you should do something like exercise or eat healthy, but you just decided that you didn't, you wouldn't. Have your emotions ever caused you to not spend time with the Lord, spend time in devotion? Have your emotions ever caused you to procrastinate? Procrastination is a good example of a negative emotion left unchecked. And procrastination is actually not an emotion Procrastination is a manifestation of an emotion. Procrastination is, is many times due to anxiety. That's the emotion behind procrastination. It can be due to laziness. Sometimes that can actually be the emotion behind it. It can be a lack of faith in your own abilities. Maybe you just really don't feel like you know how to do it. You've got some kind of imposter syndrome about your job or about whatever it is that you're supposed to be handling. And so you procrastinate. But see, the problem is not the emotions. If you notice, there's really no sin in any of the things that I just mentioned, spending money, sex, not, not exercising, uh, not spending time in devotion, sleeping in, procrastination caused by anxiety or laziness. Sometimes it's good to have a lazy day. In the confines of marriage, sex is proper. Sometimes we have to spend money. And in fact, sometimes if you've actually done what you should do and your finances are in order, it's even okay to splurge a little bit and have a little fun and buy something you don't need. It's healthy. So there's no sin in the emotion per se, but the problem comes in when we don't take the emotion and, or, or should I say, we have the emotion. And when we have the emotion, we do something that we ought not do spending money too often without a plan, having sex with somebody that you should not be having sex with, constantly not exercising or eating right, constantly sleeping in, constantly being filled with anxiety and, and constantly being lazy, constantly having allowing those things to lead to procrastination. So when you live your life slave to your emotions, you constantly are up and down running in circles, contradicting yourself, changing your mind, forgetting what you said, forgetting what you've done, forgetting what you've agreed to, on and on and on, all in an effort to what? To be happy. All in an effort to keep your spirits and your emotions high. Your emotions, however, and this is the key part here, your emotions will eat what you feed them. 
Your emotions will eat what you feed them. If you allow your emotions to run unchecked and just do whatever your emotions want you to do. The scripture talks about uh, a person being tossed to and fro. You just hear, you're there, you're everywhere. Then your emotions will crave that. However, if you learn to put your emotions in check, your emotions will enjoy being in check. You ever notice that even something as simple, and I've given this example before, but even something just as simple as drinking water. I've heard people say, adults, I don't like water. I've heard adults say they don't like vegetables, which is interesting because you would think by a certain time, you kind of get that in check, knowing that those are like a necessary part of even an unhealthy diet. Um, you got to have some vegetables in there, right? But, but, but there are people who who would say, I just don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like vegetables. I don't like water. But you know what? If you feed yourself vegetables and water, you'll begin to crave vegetables and water. What you feed yourself, you'll begin to crave it. I got a craving right now, literally, as I stand here, for some roasted cauliflower. As crazy as that might sound. But it sounds real good because I like cauliflower. Why do I like cauliflower? Because I fed myself cauliflower. I fed myself, now I don't like rice cauliflower. Now that's nasty and I refuse to feed myself that. Just give me some regular white rice. But, but, but if you know that there is something that you should desire, but you don't desire it, you have to feed yourself that in order to begin to crave that. Because at the end of the day, you know the outcome of doing the unhealthy thing in your life. And I'm not just talking about food when I say unhealthy thing. You know the outcome of doing the unhealthy thing, but in the moment, your emotions want to run wild. Your, your reactions to your emotions are far more important though than your emotions themselves. And in fact, if you have the correct reaction to your emotions, your emotions will begin to eat the correct reaction as opposed to the unhealthy reaction. So I wanna spend the next, just 10 minutes, I'm gonna kind of fly through them, uh, but I wanna to talk to you about cognitive distortions, cognitive distortions. And cognitive distortions are what keep us believing that our emotion is actually reality. Believing that what we decided with our rational mind is no longer applicable because now an emotional mind has taken over. And if we can conquer these things, then we can put ourselves in a place where our, um, our rational mind will lead us even when we get caught up in emotions, we'll be able to flip that switch back to the rational. So cognitive distortions, it's a term of art. It's a set of automatic thought patterns that are inaccurate and reinforced by our emotions. These thoughts lead us to thinking that something that is both untrue and unhelpful. These were developed by a scientist named Aaron Beck in the 1970s and in 1980s by a man named David Burns, which was actually his student, uh, his student they were popularized. So we've got 12 of them, and that's why we're gonna go through them fairly quickly. Uh, all or nothing thinking. And I want you to keep in mind your, uh, your emotional mind, the thing we talked about earlier. I'm sure everybody's probably got something in their mind by now that they're like, when this happens, I get real emotional. When this person texts me, when I hear from this person, when this situation happens, or when this time of year comes around, I get real emotional. So keep that in mind and then ask yourself, which probably several out of these 12 do you need to put in check in order to rule over your emotions in a healthy way? All or nothing thinking. All or nothing thinking is an assumption that your issues are just black and white. 
It's just this or it's that. Someone is either a wonderful person or an idiot. They're either a sweet and loving person or they just ain't no good. And, and sometimes it, it could be a person, it could be a situation, but we've just got this all or nothing thinking, no moderation. Another one is blaming others. We don't take responsibility. That's a thought distortion. So we hold other people accountable for a bad situation. It's often easier than taking responsibility ourselves, but without responsibility, what do we talk about all the time? What do we talk about all the time? Without responsibility, there is no change, right? Because if it's somebody else's fault, I can't control it. If it's your fault, I can't do nothing about it. But if I can take some responsibility, even though you should have been on top of it, even though it was your job, you didn't already show me in the past you wasn't responsible. So I should have, I could have done this, 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 that, and the other, and could have brought about a different outcome, even if it wasn't my job. I could have took responsibility. So even sometimes when it's not our fault, we can still take responsibility if it's something that affects us, right? If it's something that affects, I can't tell you how many arguments there, there are even in my own marriage because it's like, you should have done that. That's your responsibility. I pay the bills and I do this and I do that. You should have taken care of this thing with the kids. But you know what? If it was even an inkling in my mind that she wasn't going to take care of it or an inkling in her mind that I wasn't going to take care of something, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to always, you know, sometimes sometimes explaining to somebody how something isn't our job takes longer than it would have taken to just do it. So blaming others. I actually uh, saw something recently. Uh, I don't watch Judge Judy, but this was like a clip that I saw on Facebook or something. And it was, it was funny uh, because, well, it wasn't funny. A child got hit by a car. I guess I should, it wasn't funny. Let me, okay. <laughs> a child got hit by a car. And when the child got hit by the car, uh, the child was okay. It was minor, okay? But what happened was when the child got hit by the car, the parents sued the driver of the car. But it was determined by the police that the man was not speeding. Uh, he wasn't cited by the police or given any kind of ticket. And the child was outside not being watched by her parents when she got hit by the car, crossing the street to go to a friend's house, and she was six. So the judge, or, you know, she ain't a real judge, but Judy says... You got to take some responsibility for this. I'm, I'm not giving you $5,000. You know, you, how, why was your child outside by themselves? So, you know, blaming others. We have this mindset, well, just because he hit the child, it must have been the driver's fault. Well, you know, if he's going 20 miles per hour and this child decides she just wants it to be her last day, then there's not really much that he is able to do about that. Even slamming on the brakes, the fact that the child was hit in a minor way shows that he was paying attention. So blaming others is so easy when something happens, but the question that she had for them is, where were you? Why were you not watching the child cross the street? Thought distortions, catastrophizing. Maybe I said that right, y'all know what I mean. Oh, thank you. Focusing on the worst, the most unpleasant outcome to a relatively small issue. We say making a mountain out of a molehill. We just, everything is a catastrophe. Emotional reasoning. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true. Emotions are not always reliable indicators of reality, as I just said before. But many times we will allow our emotions to dictate our reality rather than allowing reality to dictate our emotions. So we just go into this emotional reasoning and we feel this way, so it must be that way. We begin to make assumptions. 
The next one is called fortune telling. The one thing that you can be certain of in this world is that nothing is certain. And every time you think you know, then you don't know. And then when you think you don't know, then it turns out to be what you did know. So the only thing that you know is that you don't know. But fortune telling is taking the current emotion and trying to forecast what will happen next and next and next and next. Joshua got himself in trouble that way. You know, we've talked about this over and over again. He took over Jericho and then he just assumed that the same way that he took over Jericho was the way that he was supposed to take over the next city. And then they were, the scripture says they were routed or in, in other words, people were slain and they began to run away because he didn't seek God about the next thing. He thought he had, he was taken over by the thought distortion of fortune telling. His emotions said, I could do this again. I did it once. I can do it again, but it happens to us all the time. Well, I've seen this before, so I know how this is gonna turn out. And that may be true, but what I'll say is tread lightly because you can end up right back up in emotional reasoning, thinking you know, but getting caught in something and, and, and thinking that it's reality, but you're not actually dealing with reality. You're just dealing with what you think. Labeling. Labeling is when a person makes big judgments about somebody based on limited knowledge. This is where we get things like prejudice and stereotypes. I just told you about um, my labeling that I do at my job. There was a girl uh, that I just uh, started working with a couple weeks ago, and I made up my mind about her that I didn't like her. And I told Jessica I didn't like her, and I told her why I didn't like her. And then the first time I had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with her, I was like, I just love her. She's so sweet. She was just so cool. I mean, she went out of her way to help me. She sent me stuff and did this, that, and the other. And it's just like, I was making up my mind. I labeled her based on just a couple little things she did. And I was like, I, I don't like her. I don't like her. But, but I was wrong. So again, that's a thought distortion. I got real emotional. I got angry and I started telling her and then I sent her this email and she didn't even respond. And then this happened and blah, blah, blah. So then when she emailed me, I didn't respond either. She found the wrong one. Like I saw this uh, meme saying, you know, with, with, with black folks, you say, if you say you got the wrong one or you got the right one, it mean the exact same thing. Um, <laughs> she got the wrong one. She don't know who she does. I'm okay. And, and all emotional, all in my feelings. And then find out that actually she's a very good person, a very decent person. Somebody who has literally begun to go out of her way to help me with things. All but just because of a few little things that she said. She might have been having a bad day. I didn't give her that. I labeled her. Another one is magnifying the negative. We have a, a tendency to do that. And that one is uh, similar to catastrophizing, focusing on the worst, most unpleasant outcome. But with magnifying the negative, it's like a tunnel vision. You magnify the negative and tend to ignore anything positive that might happen. Um, I, I know that. I, I have a tendency to do this one too. You just magnify the thing that is negative. You don't look at something negative happening and realizing that with every negative comes an opportunity. Sometimes some of the worst things in your life, some things that seem like the worst thing that could have happened to you end up turning out to open up another door. You would have never looked that way had that other door not been closed. But we don't look at it that way. We just magnify the negative. Close to that is minimizing the positive. Some people actively quash the value or importance of the positive aspects of a situation. They just focus on the negative. 90 things in your life can be going right. And you didn't spend all day focusing on the 10% and you don't know why you're depressed. 
all of the different things that are going right. You focusing on the 10% that's going wrong, maybe even the 5%. For some of us, it might be 1%, but we have magnified it so much. We've magnified it so much that it's become bigger than the 99%. That's why the scripture says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We're not making God any bigger. We're just making him bigger to us. But if we're not careful, we don't magnify God. We don't magnify good. We magnify problems. And then it's a thought distortion because we just magnify that in our mind. We downplay our accomplishments and we insist that anyone could have done what we did. We're downplaying the positive. A real recent example of this in my own life, as many of you all know, because of my previously mentioned procrastination, um, well, a lot of it was due to that. I wasn't here last week. I was down to the wire and I had some certifications and things that I was working on. And, and part of it was just life. You know, we, I do have three children. Um, I do have a full-time job. I do teach on the side and just a lot of things going on. But part of it was just, I should have planned better. And so I worked hard. I, last Sunday, I was at work at about 6 a.m. all weekend, really, and, and days leading up to uh, everything being submitted last Monday. But last week, I was at work at 6 a.m., and I left about 10.30 p.m. And then I went home, went to sleep, and about 3 a.m. I woke back up and went back to work and worked all morning long. And after I got done, and again, that was just that day. The day before that, I was at work probably 12 hours, the same. And after I got done with all the certifications, took all the tests, uh, turned in the final project, which was like 60 pages long, I, I, I found out that I passed everything within like hours, probably because I was the last person to turn it in. I think she had graded everybody else. And so she was just like, hey, you're the only one I'm waiting on, you know. Uh, but but minimizing, minimizing the positive, it's like I was so excited. I was so excited. I was like, yes, I passed it. I did good. This is awesome. And I can't tell you how quickly, like the same day, I started thinking to myself, what are you celebrating for? Anybody could have done this. Yeah, you put all that time in or whatever, but that was just because you procrastinated. Like, didn't, you know, three other people at my job took it. And as far as I know, all of them passed. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure all of them passed. So I started thinking everybody else passed it. Now the, the travesty would have been as if you failed it. You ain't done nothing. That, that's, that's a thought distortion. Rather than having joy and thanking God and being happy, I start to minimize it and then start to think about, all the bad things that didn't even go wrong, but could have went wrong. And then you wonder, I wonder, why am I robbed of my joy? Why am I not happy? But emotions sometimes, and negative emotions in particular, will take over. Anybody could have done that. I'm sure didn't nobody fail. That lady was an easy teacher. She probably ain't never failed nobody. Thought distortions, minimizing the positive. The next one is mind reading, which is similar to fortune telling. We're coming down to the last couple here. Just stick with me. This is like fortune telling, but instead of trying to predict the future, we try to predict what someone else is thinking or saying. We try to predict what someone else is feeling, what they're thinking based on our own emotions. Man, I have made this mistake so many times over and over and over again. It's like, Especially like, let's say I do something and I think it could have possibly offended somebody, but I don't think it did, but I'm not really sure. And then let's say the next day that person might not be having such a great day and normally they walk in and smile and good morning. 
And then that day they walk in, hey, good morning. You're like, ooh, they mad at me. And you know what? They ain't got no right to be mad at me because I didn't even, I don't even know why they're acting like that. I, I'm not a mind reader, but a thought distortion. And then all of a sudden you start dealing with that person like they got an issue with you. Maybe you didn't even do nothing. Maybe they just walked in and they was having a bad day. I told you all about the professor I had that was always nice and sweet to me. And one day I come in and I was like, hey, how you doing? And she was just like, I'm fine, Ryan, how are you? And I was like, what, are you okay? Did I make you mad? Did I make you angry? And she's like, why would you think you had the power over me to make me mad or angry? Stop thinking about yourself all the time. You know, I can't believe, she said, what a selfish thing to say. I'm having a bad day because something else is going on in my life. But mind reading, we think we know. And then we start operating with that person. That's why communication is so important because mind reading will have you thinking something about somebody that communication could have cleared up. But now you're living in this negative emotion with this person, you got beef with them and they may not even know it. The next one is overgeneralizing and it's applying a blanket assumption to your situation based on isolated past experiences and little evidence. And it leads to uh, broad and unrealistic conclusions. In relationship, it looks like this. You always, you never, you only, we're probably all guilty of, of doing that, right? I know all the time, I'm like, I literally like just little things, you know, just, you always leave the top off the toothpaste. Like, does she really always do that? Probably not always. You know, you never pick up behind yourself, even talking to the children. Is that true? Y'all never put y'all plate in the sink. Well, sometimes they do. Sometimes they listen. The vast majority of the time. But there's a healthier way to deal with that. There's a healthier way to deal with that. But, but we just overgeneralize things. And we're just like, yeah, I just know. I know how this works because they always do that. They don't never do that. And then we get trapped in this like cyclical thing. And, and I can't tell you how many times like I'll be mad at Jessica about something. And like, she always do this, she don't never do this. And I just keep it in my mind because I don't want to fight, but I do want to be mad. And so I just keep it in my head. And it's like, I'm angry about something. And it probably would have worked better worked out with just having a conversation, like a let cooler heads prevail. But we overgeneralize, right? The last two, self-blaming. Self-blaming. This one is, is different, of course. We talked about blaming. Something's always somebody else's fault, but self-blaming can be just as hazardous. It's a belief that everything is your fault. Self-blaming is just a form of self-absorption though. Just like I talked to you about with the professor a moment ago. It's usually an emotionally driven attempt to constantly garner sympathy. So you see people that's constantly self-blaming. That's like pride in reverse. It's just another kind of pride. And I'm not saying that that's always the case. That's why I said usually. But many times when people are like that, they, they're really trying to get you to say, like I knew somebody that used to always say, ooh, my hair look a mess. And they just really, she just really wanted you to be like, girl, your hair look good. Your hair look nice. What you talking about? Because she was a hairstylist. She had done it herself, you know. And she's like, ooh, you know, she, she, would, she would do something to my hair. And she would say, ooh, you ain't gonna like this. This look a mess. And, and expecting me, of course, to be like, this is real nice, what you talking about? Stop doing that. It's like, it's a way to boost their self-esteem. It's really self-absorption in a different way. It usually emotionally uh, driven way. So if you find yourself do this, you have to, doing this, you have to at least ask yourself, am I just looking for sympathy? Even if that's not your conscious purpose, even if that's not your conscious purpose, because sometimes it's really not your purpose uh, or your conscious purpose, but really you do just want somebody to lift you up. 
and tell you how good you are, right? Uh, and the last one is should statements, should. What we felt like should have happened, what somebody should have done. If you think you or someone else should have done something and there's little wiggle room for alternatives of how things could have played out, then you are setting unfair rules and expectations for yourself or for others. Because truthfully, we don't know what would have happened should that other thing have happened. I should have done this or I should have done that. We really don't know. Sometimes what we think we should have done or what somebody else should have done could have actually made out for a worse situation. Just like we talked about when there's negative and sometimes we focus on that negative, but really there's something positive. There's an opportunity that opened up and you don't see that opportunity except for the fact that something negative happened. It's the same thing here. We can't say what we should have done to avoid that negative because maybe the best thing is that that didn't happen. But our reality is focused on what? Our reality many times is focused not on what's actually here in front of us, not what's actually here in the world, but what our expectations were of how something should have happened, of what somebody should have done. And it's such a dangerous thing because it keeps you from living your real life it keeps you from living your best life. It keeps you from enjoying life. So what? It didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to. So what? The relationship didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. The friendship, the job, whatever it may be, even, even people, that person didn't turn out, that child, that friend didn't turn out to be the friend that I wanted them to be. Well, guess what? We don't live our life based on expectations. We don't live our life which should statements, well, if this should have happened or this could have happened, then things could have been different. No, we live our lives in the here and now. We live our lives in what actual reality is. Now, hearing all those thought distortions, I know you found yourself in at least two or three of those. The emotions that you get caught in, you get caught in them because of those type of distortions. But what we ought to be doing with our emotions is examining them. Think of your emotion, the thing that you're feeling, think of it as, as being on a little piece of paper and you're actually examining that angry, anger. Why am I angry? Not just acting out in anger, but asking yourself, why am I angry? What should I do with this anger? Because anger, even, even anger, something that seems as bad as anger, the scripture tells us to anger, but sin not. We're allowed to be angry, but how are you gonna express that anger? I feel lonely. Me feeling lonely doesn't mean that I put myself around somebody that I shouldn't be around. Me being lonely doesn't mean that I avail myself or allow people into my company that shouldn't be in my company. But let me examine this loneliness. Why am I lonely? Why do I feel this way? What's going on inside of me? What should I do about this? But we don't have those kind of things. We don't, we don't think about our thoughts. We just rush to some judgment. We rush to some conclusion. We rush to do something because we are driven by our emotions rather than examining our emotions and letting our reason drive, amen? So it's important to remember that our emotions are not good or bad. It's the reaction to them that becomes positive or negative. Take one of your common emotions and ask yourself, what is the reaction that minimizes cognitive distortions? What is the reaction that produces a better, healthier outcome for me and everyone else involved? and promotes transparency and honesty in my life. Despite every cliche that you have heard, we should not be driven by our emotions. We should not just trust our emotions. In fact, we should habitually take a, make a habit of questioning our emotions. Negative emotions sometimes can be a call to action for us. 
It's nature's way of inspiring change. It's God's way of sometimes bringing us to change by looking at those negative emotions. They are part of an equation, but they're not the whole equation. Philippians 4 and 6 through 8 says, don't be anxious about anything, emotion, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, new emotion, substituting anxiety because we, we did the right thing with anxiety. We thought about anxiety. We used our anxiety to say, okay, let me use this as an opportunity for prayer, not for anger an opportunity for prayer or opportunity to, to deal with this anxiety as opposed to letting this anxiety drive us to something or drive us to a place that we don't want to go. So now we got a new emotion, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. How do we control our emotions? Thinking about the right things. Romans 12 and two, and praise team, you can come. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, testing your emotions, thinking about your emotions, he says, you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is worthy of your thoughts, if anything is worthy of your emotions, think about those things. God bless you. We pray that today's message has been a blessing and makes an eternal impact on your life. Come join us live on Sunday at 1245 p.m. Central Time. If you're in the St. Louis metro area, we meet at 1060 Chambers Road, a little over a mile south on Bell Fountain Road from Highway 270. You can also join us via Zoom. The login number is 314-720-8880. You can call that same number to reach someone on our ministry team or text the word connect there to be in the know regarding upcoming events. Again, that number is 314-720-8880. We are Relationship Church. Come grow with us.